0: Please turn with me to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, starting on page two twenty-two in your pew Bible in front of you. So, uh, one of the things that that I started doing in our look at the book of Philippians was to take shorter chunks or passages as our Our um, uh, standard practice here at First Congregational Church at Woodstock is to preach through a book of the Bible, to take it section by section, verse by verse as as we go through that. And one of the things that that I was used to doing was longer passages. And so I've tried to to shorten those and cover less material each Sunday and go into more depth in, in each passage. But I don't want us to lose the forest for the trees. And so I'm going to continue that practice as we walk our way through Ruth. I've been working through little pieces of chapter 1, and so now what I'd like us to do is to kind of take a step back and we're going to look at the whole of chapter 1 and kind of see how all of those pieces fit together and how we uh, apply those to our lives. So uh, I know it's a longer passage, but I wanted to give you a little of that, that context as I read Uh, all of chapter 1, verses 1 to 22, from the book of Ruth. Hear now the holy, inerrant word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said to one another, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We praise you and thank you that all of your scriptures point us to you. That you are the Messiah for for whom Naomi and Ruth waited. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see through their eyes. That you would help us to understand what you were saying to your people at their time and then might understand how you speak to us still today that we might listen to your word trust it and obey it as we seek to love you Lord Christ in the way that you have loved us we pray all these things in Christ's name Amen well in looking at the book of Ruth we're we're seeing how God is faithful all throughout his dealings with his people. And we've been looking at this particular family and how it, from the very start, it starts off in ways that this could be any family of God. We, we saw how it, it locates us in the time period of in the day of the judges. That is of Israel before King David. And, and how that God's people there at, at that time were struggling to obey God and to trust him. That he had brought them into the promised land. And even though they came in to homes that they had not built and vineyards that they had not planted. And all of these blessings that God was giving to them as a testimony, not just to good stuff, but to him as a good faithful, trustworthy God. That it didn't t- take them long at all before they were immune to the, the blessings and how it should have pointed them to, to the Lord, but took those things for granted. And then when, because of their lack of faithfulness, their lack of obedience, they experienced things like famines that were not to be in the promised land, that instead of turning to, back to Yahweh, They looked elsewhere, in this case, for this particular family, to Moab. And it starts off with them, a man of Bethlehem, locating this person as part of God's people. And it eventually tells you his name and his wife's name and their boys' names. But it starts off as this could be any of us, any of God's people, because this is a story, a true story, about God's people not trusting him at his word and what happens as a result of that. And as we've been seeing in the the prophets in the Old Testament in the adult Sunday school class, it's no big surprise what happens. When God's people disobey him, God disciplines his children. He disciplines those whom he loves. And that's often difficult for us because we can look around and see lots of other people that are doing far worse things than we are who were making bank and doing great. And, and we can look around Woodstock. You may or may not know this. Most of you probably already know this. But Woodstock is in a very individ- uh, unique place in that more than two-thirds of the properties, the homes here in this area, are not homes where people live as their primary residence. They're second, third, or in some cases, fourth homes. Of, of people who have been greatly blessed, and if you were to to take a clipboard and go, oh I don't know, July Fourth weekend when a lot of them are here, and and ask, what do you think of Jesus? When when did you come to faith in Christ? Oh, no, I no, don't. No. Most of our neighbors don't believe in Christ, as at least not as the Savior and Lord. And and so it. It is easy then and it is easy now for us to look around and say, I, I don't understand. This, is, this life is hard. And it seems like God promises all, us all kinds of things that, that we're not seeing. Do you, do you relate to that? Does that make any sense? And, and so here's one family that could be any of our families. That do believe in Yahweh, that that do believe that God cares for us, and that he's going to provide a Messiah, or in our case, that Jesus is going to come back, but are struggling with this difficulty of how do we live now? What does this look like? And so this first chapter of of Ruth is really kind of the backstory of explaining Naomi's bitterness. And and then looking forward in Ruth, we're going to see how God is taking her from a place of bitterness to blessing. A place of doubt to a place of belief. Some of you have have expressed concern that over the last five weeks, you say, gosh, it sounds like you're being kind of hard on Naomi. Because I've tried to painstakingly reveal what the scripture says that she and her family were not obeying God. They were disbelieving his promises and going to look elsewhere, particularly in Moab, that, that is a whole country, that is a whole people group, that is a whole place that, that God had put the Moabites who were seeking blessing apart from Yahweh and were disobeying in rank and incestuous ways. That That's who they were as a people. And so it, it's like us as the people of God saying, you know, it's, it's difficult following Christ here. We love Jesus, we want to follow him, but it's just too hard here. Let's go to Las Vegas. That's where the people of God should be. Well, now you might missiologically say that's, that is where God's people could be as, as light in the, in the midst of darkness. But you'd have a hard time making the case that that's a place where Jesus is openly glorified by a large part of the population. It's, it's known as sin city. And, and that's, that's what Moab is picturing here. The people of God, this particular family, says, God led us into this promised land saying that he was going to be with us and bless us there, and he's not, so let's go to Sin City. And what we find as a result is the hard fall that Naomi experiences. It tells us just briefly in these first couple of verses that that Naomi's family is fairly well off. We we can tell this from the way that the scripture describes them and mentions particularly that they are from Ephratah, that that this place in Bethlehem where they where they dwell and their part in the tribe that they are they're members of is part of of Israel, that that they have the means with which at least that they can make a journey as far as Moab. You look at the map and you say, well, Moab's just the next door country. It's like that's that's not that far except when there's not a plane to get there, there's not a train to get there, you're walking or maybe on a donkey. So, you know, you know, New York's not very far away. But if you were to take off this afternoon for Buffalo by walking, it's a pretty long way. And And so this is a a family that's able to make that kind of journey. They've been blessed by God. They're married. They have not just one son, but two sons. And yet they, knowing the word of God, and and we hear that from Naomi herself and what she expresses about knowing Yahweh as the covenant-keeping God. She knows his name also as El Shaddai, the Almighty. And she goes along. Now we don't, it doesn't give us a ton of detail. This, this may have all been Elimelech's a a idea. I know many wives could probably attest to that. You know, oh yeah, he, he was all gung-ho thinking this was a great idea. But, but she has gone along and the, the sons not only went, but then after their father died when they could have said, we're going back to the promised land. Instead, they did what should have been unthinkable. They married Moabite wives rather than those who worship Yahweh. And so Naomi herself describes this hard fall that she has been in by saying, I went away full and God brought me back empty. She is described within the text here, as left with no husband, as left without her two sons and husband. And she returns to her homeland to the astonished question, can this be Naomi? And she recognizes that the Lord has afflicted her. So please hear me, I'm not trying to be hard on Naomi. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to say, oh, Naomi's bad. What I'm trying to say is what the scripture says is that Naomi is just like us. She's someone saved by God's grace who disbelieves and struggles and has over time become embittered and is accusing God of being the one who's gotten her where she is. And and isn't this just like us in our sin? We're the ones that will turn from God. We're the ones that will do precisely the things that God tells us not to do, the things that we know we're not supposed to do. And, And then when we get in trouble for it, we turn around and blame God. It makes absolutely no sense, but that's always the way with sin. There's never been any sin, ever, that actually makes sense. When you think about it, here's God who's given me everything that I have, who who is even right now sustaining me, holding my atoms and molecules together, enabling me to breathe in and out. The one who feeds me and I bite his hand. That doesn't make any sense. And yet we understand it, right? We know what it's like to be hurt, scared. To to not know what to do. And so we do the very things that are the worst thing to do because they go against what God has said. And, And sometimes we, like Paul, find ourselves saying very things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Who will set me free from this bondage of death? You know those words from the book of Romans? Describing Paul not understanding why he does the very things of sin that we all do. And so this is where Naomi finds herself And then in this story, it it helps us by giving us three different experiences, three different people in in wrestling through what to do with that. So they they all are dealing with this question that that Naomi forms or talks about of where are you going to find rest? And, And Naomi suggests that that they can find rest in the home of another husband. Do you see that in verse 9? Go back home. You're young still. You, You don't have children. Remarry and find peace in the home of your husband. Now this is no small thing. Naomi, in saying that, uses the word that was very near and dear to the Israelites heart shalom peace she doesn't just say go back home and and remarry and and fend for yourself or that that you'll be taken care of in in that way she relates to what all of us are looking for in peace peace includes all of those things of being cared for, of having enough food to eat, but also the inner peace of of knowing relationship, knowing love, being cared for and being able to care for others. And and I would suggest to you that, that both at Naomi's time and our time, that is one of the chief idols that we're all tempted with. And, and we do this all the time in our thinking and our planning and all these things. If I can get married, then that's, that's when I'll be okay. And, and then God blesses you and you're married. And then you say, well, if we could have kids, then. Well, then you have kids. And you think, whoa. Yeah. Okay, so if we figure out how to have the children obey, then we'll be okay. And and that didn't work. So, okay. So if we could just get the kids out of the house, then we'd be okay. You spent all this time praying for kids to fill the house. Now you've got kids filling the house and you're praying for them to go out of the house. That's that's our human struggle. And none of those things will give us peace. They can give us sublimity for a moment. They, They can be wonderful. And gone. And that's part of what this story is helping us to see. Is, is Naomi has been filled up. She has all of these things. She has a husband. She has two sons. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's strong. Everybody's able to travel. They, they go to Moab to, to find more food and, and a, a more comfortable life. Then her husband's gone. Then her boys are married. And then they're gone. And she's left. And so, to her daughters-in-law, they're all wrestling now together, these three women. How will we find rest? For Orpah, who comes across in the text as kind and interested in the things of God, she's uh, initially, yeah, let's go back to, to Bethlehem. I'm I'm with you. but But not committed, not when push comes to shove, and, and Naomi helps her to see some of the cost of following Yahweh, that again, isn't just in the Old Testament. Jesus comes to his disciples and says, consider the cost. To follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. We think, oh, that's, that's a quaint you know, kind of word picture. But we forget the cross is the means of execution. Take up something that is going to kill you in a shameful, painful way and follow me. Following Christ is going to be difficult. And Orpah, sweet, kind person that she is, says, I'm not sure about that. And so she returns to her own family. Ruth, likewise is is there initially i'm i'm following you naomi i'm going where you go and and naomi pushes back and says consider the cost and and so ruth says yep i've considered the cost i've thought about that i'm with you not only am i with you but i'm with you until death i will go with you i will have your people as my people your god is my god and she takes a pledge. She enters into the covenant of, of Yahweh. Let Yahweh do to me this dying peace if I don't remain with you until death. Ruth is all in. She pledges herself to Yahweh, to Israel, and to Naomi. And travels then with her all the way back to Bethlehem. And then you have Naomi, who blesses others even as she's struggling with grief, with bitterness, with despondency and hurt. She packs her bags and goes back to the Lord. Yes, with her tail between her legs. Yes, struggling mightily. But she turns back to the Lord. Sometimes we don't do that out of our sense of shame. Not, not the shame that's appropriate for those who have disobeyed God, but the shame that we heap on ourselves. The, the kind of shame where we say, Well, yes, I know Jesus can forgive me, but I don't think I can forgive myself. And and if we I understand that feeling but I want us to stop and look at the text and the story because it helps us as a mirror to show us the arrogance of what that statement is actually saying. To say, well, yes, Jesus died on the cross to forgive, forgive us of all our sins, but I don't think I can forgive myself. Do you understand that what you're saying is, is I've got a higher standard than God himself does? Yes, Jesus may forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. I'm holier than God? No. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus from the cross said, it is finished. And as we looked at here in in the passage, that I'm going to have us reading all through the the week, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's, There's none left was talking with someone recently about this particular thing of how Naomi is feeling shame. She comes back and says, "Don't call me Naomi, blessed delightful one. Call me Mara, bitterness because the Lord has dealt so bitterly with me." And and said, "Well, she shouldn't she shouldn't feel any shame because God's forgiven her." Well, yes, that's right. And, and if we would simply obey what the Scripture says, there would be no, no need for biblical counseling. There would be no need for us helping one another. We'd just say, well, you're feeling shame. Jesus has forgiven you. Stop it. Stop feeling ashamed. But most of us know, wow, well, I wish I could. And, and that's where... What we need is God's word to wash over us again and again and again. What we need is preaching the gospel to ourselves and others preaching it to us. And a family of faith that comes along us and, and, and says, I know. I know what it's like to feel that way. I know what it's like to replay in your mind those sinful things that you've done. And now that you know Jesus, you know that it was for those things that he was beaten and whipped and hung on a cross. And my shame, my horror at what I have done to my Savior, I I just can't. And as we're going to see, God is patient with Naomi. She doesn't just get back to to Bethlehem, get back to God's people and cry out, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The, The heavens didn't open. Lightning didn't come down and strike Naomi. Say, How dare you accuse God of evil? No, what we're going to find is is that there among God's people, God shows her. Honey, I I was only strict with you because you needed healing. And you wouldn't receive healing off in Moab. You needed to be here among your people my people to receive grace to hear these truths to see it worked out we're going to see god do amazing things in ruth and give such blessing to naomi but for that to be anything that actually helps naomi to praise yahweh she had to come through this valley she had to fall this far Praise be to God that he is so gracious with us. And so they return to this particular place of biblical significance, Bethlehem. And we've seen how that's Bethlehem means the the house of bread. And here is Naomi who has been emptied, who finds herself in the house of bread at the beginning of the barley harvest. But Bethlehem is not only the house of bread, it's also the birthplace of Christ, the one who fills up those who are empty. She's now positioned for grace, knowing her need. What are the areas that you are in need? What are the things that you need that you're not willing to admit? That you're, you're holding on to your right. You're holding on to, to your account of how God did you wrong. And you're, you're massaging that. You're, you're cultivating that. You're, you're holding on. God did me wrong in this way. God said that he would meet my needs, but here is where he failed me. God has helped his other children in these ways, but not me. And the, the ways in which we hold on to and nurture those kinds of things continue to harden our hearts. But where we will recognize our need. Even Lord, I I can't see how you have been faithful. I know your word says you've been faithful. But I can't see it. But you, Jesus, healed the blind man. Heal me of my spiritual blindness. Where all I tend to see is the way that you've failed me rather than the ways that you've met my needs. It is through recognizing our need and then bringing that to Christ. We were talking earlier, a couple of us, about the difficulty that we sometimes have of, of seeing or being able to explicitly point to what is the way that Christ is, is the answer. Right? The old, the old Sunday school question of, uh, okay, boys and girls, what, what is this? And everybody says, well, it's got to be Jesus. I, I don't know how, but I know Jesus is the right answer. Well, okay, you may be here and you say, I know Jesus is the right answer but I can't connect that with my checkbook not making sense I can't connect that Jesus is the answer with my lack of any friendships that are anything but backstabbing people that don't care for me or I can't connect Jesus being the answer with my need in this way or that way okay start there Lord help me And then as we begin to hear these stories, as we maybe relate more to Orpah or Naomi or Ruth, that that as we see, okay, here's how you worked in their life to help them to see their need for you, then that starts connecting some of the dots for us. And as we move forward in the story, there are going to be so many times where we see her emptiness being filled up. The good news of the gospel being demonstrating, demonstrated through God's meeting their needs. And you say, well, how, how is it the good news of the gospel? They, Jesus hadn't come yet. They're, they're, they're living before there's even a temple there for them to see the sacrifices pointing to the Messiah and all those things. And yet what they did have was the promise that God was going to deliver his people from our deepest needs that just as he was faithful to Abraham Isaac and Jacob so he will be faithful to all who trust in him and so chapter 1 brings us to this point where they are waiting for rest for peace in the place of God's promise what, what are you waiting for does, does the return of Christ rate as, as your highest need, as your greatest expectation? And as we go in life, the, that greatest thing that we're looking forward to often changes. Right? You, you, you talk to a 15-and-a-half-year-old and their greatest excitement is they're going to turn 16 and be able to get a license. Or an engaged couple, they're, they're, they can't wait to their wedding date. To, to uh, uh, Haley and, and Stephen, right, whose, whose due date for their, their baby was Thursday. I guarantee the thing that they are most looking forward to is that baby being born. Right? And th- those are all good things, wonderful things. But more and more for us to say, Lord Christ, help me that you give me those things to anticipate most of all as a taste of how you would have me to look forward to your coming again. So what are some of those things that you've looked forward to the most in your life? To to think about that, to meditate upon that. And say, Lord, help me to be that excited about your coming again. That is what this text is helping us to see. Here are Naomi and Ruth in Bethlehem. They don't know how it's going to happen. They don't know when it's going to happen. But they are trusting God as as meagerly and as limpingly as, as they are. Okay, Lord. We're here waiting on you. Meet us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the hardships that you bring into our lives. We don't like them. We we do not want to go through grief and hardship and bitterness. But we do want you. By your grace, it's the only way we can explain it, how you've taken us from our own self-absorption to to wanting you. But we pray that you would make us to long for your return, Lord Christ, more than anything else. Help us to to follow the story of Ruth and Naomi, to, to see how you worked in them, that we might all the more trust you to work in us too.